This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here in the studio, back again with Brianne Fueling, my wife. And we've been answering questions uh, most of last week with her about counseling and a few other doozies. So today, Brianne, I am very curious how you're going to answer today's question. I've never thought of this question, heard of this question. And generally, it comes under the category of Christians and multi-personality disorders. So you have a little bit more of the question in detail. Could you read that for us so we can get some context? Absolutely. So the question was submitted, and it says, So let's say there is a person with multiple personality disorder. What if there are three personalities? One is a Christian, one non-religious, and the other extremely against God. What happens to the soul? <laughs> I'm wondering. I'm I'm sorry. Like, if our audience thinks I'm laughing at, at them, I'm more just like, that is a clever question. I don't know that I've ever heard of that being an actual experience of this is more of a hypothetical. I would just like to say to the, the question asker, if this is a real question, please come tell me who you are because- Oh, we have the person's name. Oh, we do? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> the question that comes from a mind that loves to think and loves to ponder life. Interesting. Well, yeah. I will bring in. I, I mean, I think I have the most cursory knowledge of multi 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 personality, whatever that thing. Mm-hmm. It's less cursory than it was a minute ago. So, um, how do you even respond to this? Okay, so we're going to start by just kind of correcting the concept of multiple personality disorder. That is no longer what um, I, this person is kind of referring to. That's not no longer a diagnostic category or a name. And so now we kind of take our prior knowledge of what they had seen as multiple personality disorder and we put it into a category of what they call DID, which is disassociative identity disorder. And um, disassociative identity disorder is a mental disorder that is characterized by at least two distinct and relatively continual and enduring identities or disassociated personality states that alternatively show up in the person's behavior that oftentimes is accompanied with memory impairment from mm. one personality to the other. Lots of times they don't remember what that aspect of them did or said. And so there's kind of that aspect of the memory impairment for important information um, that is not explained by just ordinary forgetfulness. So I think that this question is fascinating. And it was, <laughs> Is it like... Have you ever heard of anything well, like this? Well, that's what I was going to say. I would have been more hesitant at this question if I didn't have a cousin who lives in California. And he came to me, maybe, I don't know if it was this last time I was out there or the time before, and said he was working with a friend who was actually working with someone in a homeless shelter, I believe it was, that had the same kind of situation. And so it wasn't the three personalities, but it was just down to the two personalities. And one loved God and went to church and wanted to be a part of his kingdom. And the other one was very profane and angry with God and was against anything that had to do with him. So I think it's important to build into our understanding that DID is not conceptualized as three distinct people inside of one person but that it is one person who is split into different parts. So there are common threads that each of these personalities have back to the original person and who they once were. For example, they all speak in English, which is, I mean, believe it or not, it's like the most base common thread. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that's true. 
Yeah, I can't imagine the brain would speak in a language it had never previously known. But if you had a bilingual person, oh, no, like person, had, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking, may... like had, had previously known. Yeah. I think more than we understand, everyone can relate to this. And so everyone has the propensity towards going with different aspects of themselves, maybe in different situations, or to deal with different hurts, or to deal with different groups of people. That is kind of parse, beginning to parse out yourself and not bring your full self to each different aspect. So you kind of pick and choose who you're going to be in different places, which is why, by and large, when I see people doing that, it's something I very well discourage because I don't think it's a healthy behavior. And I think it's shortchanging any particular community from getting your full authentic mm. self as to who you are. So you're looking at it more as a spectrum. One is a decision you make in order to maybe protect yourself or make a point or to be, be successful mm -hmm. yep. or successful or seen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then across the spectrum, there is a point though where one personality, if you will, is not conscious of another one. And there, it Correct. seems to be like on a dime, they go back and forth. Correct. And so that's when we get to the very much extreme version, which would be a diagnostic category. But throughout however many years I've been doing this, which would be, I don't do math. So since 2004, I've begun to see these common themes pretty much with any disorder that there are traits and aspects that really play out by and large in many people in humanity's lives, but they're kept intact or they're kept within a certain realm on the spectrum. And then with certain people, many times because of trauma, it kind of initiates and launches them further down the spectrum into something that is more severe, more life altering. Socially unacceptable completely takes over them mm. and is hard at that point to come back from. Is there a typical um, catalyst for for multi-personalities? Is it a progressive thing? Can you see this younger? Is there certain, like a, a demographic that it applies to? Is it more common in men or women or different ethnicities? Like what's what are the criteria that usually pushes someone from connected even personalities to disconnected or disassociated personalities. So as many as 99% of individuals who develop this disorder have recognized personal histories of reoccurring, overpowering, and often life-threatening disturbances, hmm. most of the time starting very young in life. Most of the time something that happened in their life before they were nine. So some kind of tragedy or trauma mm -hmm. was the catalyst yep. that sent this person down that path. Absolutely. And oftentimes a persistent history of neglect or emotional abuse. And so it's just kind of this persistent feeding and giving in, mm. like putting into this individual just hurt and trauma. And so the people I personally who have worked with who have had this either in a diagnostic criteria or right, maybe right before at the highest end of normal criteria, they've experienced consistent, consistent, horrible, awful abuse and neglect that has led them to try to save themselves, to try to create an alternative world, to try to create someplace that is happy that they can go to, to try to deal with it. And so they begin to pile all of the evil and all of the junk and all of the negative thoughts and all of the hurts that they have towards God or anything into one part, part of them and all of the positive and all of the hope mm. and all of the joy that they have into another part of them. So like, for example, your cousin's friend's friend or whatever, like he... If he was a fully connected person, he might be a person who believes in Jesus, but is very frustrated with how what the plan Jesus's life has had for him. But because these have become so disconnected, now you have one person who's completely over exactly. here and another is completely over here. And it sounds like, as I'm just hearing you process this, it sounds like the the brain does this to protect itself. Mm -hmm. And 
from perceived or real threat. Right. So like the even more emotional threat? Is that right. is that a fair oh, way to yeah, say it? Sure. Like this isn't Both necessarily physical, emotional, psychological. And so if you look at what when we work with people with DID, what we hope for them is to fuse these personalities back into one person. Granted, like that's really hard work and takes a long time. I was gonna say it feels impossible. Well it it's not. And I think that that's where like the redemption of Christ comes in to be able to speak to that, to be able to say, you know what? No, that person needs to speak to that person. We have to get these all people all to the table mm. to try to understand like who you are and what that looks like. But it is, it's yeah. very hard. And some people are so fragmented and so separated that it's, it's very hard yep. to be able to do that. But I think in the answer, in terms of in the answer of what we want to do in therapy with them is to try to get them to fuse. That's kind of like where we see the diagnosis too, is that yes, they've like fragmented, they separated, they split. And they don't want to hear what each other has to say anymore. They don't want those parts to speak to one another. Yep. So if you go back to the question, how would you answer the question? Um, well, I think just one thing that I would add to that, too, is just going back to the original conceptualization of it. She kind of hinted at the fact that each personality and identity, or we call them like alters, mm -hmm. like the alter egos, have their own oftentimes age, their own sex even, their own race in terms of how they like self-identify. Each has her, his or her own postures, gestures, and a distinct way of talking oftentimes. Sometimes the alters are imaginary people. Sometimes they're even animals. As each personality reveals itself and controls the individual's behaviors and thoughts, it's called switching. So that's a switch back and forth. And switch, switching can be like in within seconds, boom, 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 or it can be over periods of days or periods of months. It feels demonic. You know, I would not rule that out. And so one of the things that I think is super important to look at that is, which I'll talk about in a second, are cultural phenomenons that are currently occurring and being more popularized and accepted that I believe kind of go directly into this whole conceptualization. So I'll talk about that in a second. But I think one thing I just want to say, too, is that oftentimes when we look at this situation, there is no parsing it out for being, oh, that's because of that. Oh, and that's because of that. These yeah. are very complex, hard, sad situations. And rarely is there someone who's experienced, someone that I've worked with that when I hear the story, I'm not just totally broken for them and what they've so far been exposed to and experienced. And there's a lot else that's going on. And so some people with this disorder have a tendency towards self-persecution or like self-sabotage or even violence. They often are so aggravated with themselves that they are often cutters or have self-injury tendencies too because of the angst and the hurt that's built up inside of them for feeling like this and feeling all these different parts and feeling so fragmented that it comes back to them. Which makes them even further fragmented and the brain goes mm -hmm. into a further mm -hmm. protection mechanism. Mm -hmm. and they find themselves oftentimes doing things that they normally wouldn't do, which falls into the category of self-injury. Even things like recklessly driving or mm. speeding or stealing money. They feel compelled to do that, and they describe, okay, so one particular client I had, she would often describe this as being a passenger in her body rather than the driver. Not as much an out-of-body experience, but just consistently feeling like these impulses and these things rose up within her to, like, take over, and she would find herself, you know, in the middle of a store hurting herself and never feel like she ever made the decision to get there. And so oftentimes these people feel like they have not a lot of choice in this in this um, switching, in the hurting, and in, in all of these different situations. Mm. Again, one of the overlying concepts that we see is that often each personality is very, very distinct because that distinct personality has helped the individual cope with each of life's dilemmas. Mm. 
most of the time there is an average of two to four. So the question asker here is right on in the three. But there can be up to, people have recorded up to different hundred, a hundred different distinct personalities. Oftentimes we see that environmental triggers or life events are kind of what cause that switch, whether it's like a feeling of being little, which would cause someone to go back to their nine-year-old personality or vulnerable or strong, which would cause them to go to their male bodylifting personality. Mm. And I'm just making those up as I go along because mm. they're easy. But we oftentimes see that there is triggers and the personalities directly apply to those different triggers in the environment. So when we look at the question, if one is a Christian, one is non-religious, and the other is extremely against God, what happens to the soul? And I think that is an extremely hard question to know, just as a blanket statement question. I think when I look at those situations and we think of them as these splitting and these coping mechanisms and these coping aspects of people who have kind of divergently split from one another, and we look at where does the soul lie in all of that? I guess I tend to think that the soul lies at the true fused part of that person and who they were and continue to be when those pieces come back. Yeah, if they all come back together, you have a, a person who believes in Jesus, struggles with what God does. Exactly. And But at the core, there's a ton of Christians, the majority of us, who have faith to varying degrees. And faith does not mean you don't have doubts. You're not right. upset with God. You know, there's mm-hmm. So if you fuse all that together, you have a pretty consistent person that reflects, I think, what many Christians feel and experience mm-hmm. in different seasons of their lives. Absolutely. And so I think when I come back to the line, um, like my soul is hidden with Christ on high, that's what keeps coming back into my mind, is that so the soul belongs to God. And as our brain and our personalities and these different aspects of us may like be broken because of sin maybe done unto us or sin that we've done or just sin in the world that does not affect the state and the place that our soul rests in being with Jesus and being hidden with God. And so I think when we see that their soul acknowledges their need for Jesus, that it struggles with the doubts or the pride or the apathy in these different parts, I just really believe that comes back to like nothing can separate us from the love of God. And similar to dementia and similar to a lot of other really hard, fragmenting mental disorders that I don't believe that the way that our brain functions, the way that our body begins to deteriorate has an effect on our soul. I believe that our souls are hid with Christ and nothing can separate that. So you had mentioned cultural phenomenon. What do you mean by that? Like, how does that practically look? So this is not research in the world. This is Brian's mind. (laughs) So I just want to put a caveat to that. So one of the things, though, that I see continually with people who kind of begin to um, make me a little nervous on the spectrum when I'm speaking with them or seeing this inside of them is a love for video games that create an alternative personality to function and play out of. But this is pre-disassociation. This is like intentional. Like the person who's in the video game is cognizant of the other personality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But what this teaches us to do is to create multiple personalities. Exactly. And function out of them in an alternative reality. Mm. And so not that I'm saying that that's bad across the board, although it probably wouldn't be something I would want to spend my time doing, nor my children. I think that there's a place and a time for that to be an acceptable form of entertainment. But you begin to see in people's lives when this switch happens to that becoming all-encompassing. From fantasy and role play to a lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. To they feel, they think in this person, they they 
think as this person, yep. even when they're sleeping, when they're doing other things, they can't wait to get back to it. Mm. That is a concerning phenomenon to be able to almost encouraging a, a splitting in ourselves to build an alternative reality where we can function and hopefully perform and be mm. accepted and have friends. Yep. And, where your and avatar and their personality has nothing to do with you. You know, and it's beyond just we're make believing and role playing and having fun. It becomes a dominant part of your life and social experience. Right. And honestly, most of the time, in, in at least the clientele that I have, yeah. the aspects of the role playing don't. Here's my double negative. How do you say this? They don't not have anything to do with them. They very much have something to do with who yeah. they wish they were. Who they wish they were, which is which is understandable because that's what you do in your fantasy. You know, with role playing. I mean, mm -hmm. the, as a kid, you know, that's. Mm -hmm. You, you want to be a certain person and you dream about it, but you have to, you can't let that be the dominant you, the you that takes up the majority of your life and the majority of your brain energy, mm -hmm. because the real you always catches up to you when you're not on a screen. Absolutely. And so then there's a couple other cultural phenomenons that I wouldn't say like are as accepted as those, but I do believe that they go right down this path. And so I'm sure there's so many more that I'm just not cool enough to know about, but oh, you're one awesome, Brie. is to be able like the concept of furries. <laughs> and that's a concept where you're like dressing up as animals, right? And pursuing that lifestyle oh, to embrace being this animal. And I didn't see that coming. A sexual yeah. and social aspect of that. Yep. And so that is another splitting. That is another embracing of like that personality. And then there's also a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> I think you have the video where the furries beat the man in the, the car. Furries beat the man. Yes. <laughs> Really not funny. <laughs> we'll post that on our Facebook. It'll be, um, it'll be great. And so the other one is a cultural phenomenon of people being babies. And so what they actually do is they'll sleep in cribs. They'll drink out of bottles. They'll wear diapers. They'll run around and have people change is them. Is that not normal? And these are all aspects of cultural phenomenon that come to my mind very quickly in terms of dangerous trends that are actually encouraging splitting and engage only one aspect of our mind. And, and reality shows are made about this stuff. It almost perpetuates the normality of it. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, and like I said, everyone deals with this to one extent or another. So when, yeah. when you see that reality show or you see that and you think, oh, maybe I have like a spirit animal inside of me that I would mm -hmm. like to dress up as because I feel sometimes like I'm a I don't, yeah. I don't have anything I can relate to, so I can't fill in that blank. But but it begins to like show these connections, and it begins to like woo people in an evil way towards identifying with them. Mm. I think we talked about, in, I don't know if we talked about this, but in cutting, like how we say that cutting is contagious because furries are contagious. It could be, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so are video games and alternative realities and this yep. baby phenomenon. I don't know if it has a name, but these different cultural phenomenons are contagious because people see them. It stirs up something inside of them that's already a hurt or already something that they need, and it attaches an idea with how to fix that. The Flaming Lips dress up as furries in their concerts. It'd be cool if I knew who the Flaming Lips Remember were. Remember the song I just played a few, Tangerine? She don't use jelly or any of these. Remember that song? She uses... Oh. That song. Remember that? That's mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. That's the Flaming Lips. Oh, well, I, know. I hope they're your role model. So I think... Yeah, well... In that, <laughs> I bought a costume. So. <laughs> you were Chewbacca for Halloween. Um, I was. So, <laughs> oh no, Dan, I'm a furry. <laughs> um, she don't use jelly or anything. But I think going back to the serious aspect of this question, <laughs> so I think there's a lot that people think of in disassociative identity disorder. They see it as daunting, and they see it as something that is outside of anything that they would ever have to interact with. And I don't think that's true. I think it's actually all around us, and it's actually moving in a cultural trajectory to parse the parts of who we are and to split them into aspects and to feed that. And the thing is, whatever we feed grows. 
So that's the same in our lives in every different aspect, and it's definitely the same in this. And so I think that's just something we have to be very guarded towards and guarding mm. our children towards and constantly looking at the people around us and looking at our own hearts and looking at the hearts of our children and saying, no, you are one person, and we have to deal with the hard and the good all in one place, good. and we have to keep that all together and knowing that ultimately that our soul and our heart is hid with Christ and that he holds that even in the midst of any doubt yep. and anger and anything that could seem to threaten that, that nothing can separate us from his love. Well, I think that ends this conversation, Brianne. Thanks for your insights. And I just really appreciate how much experience and knowledge and insight you have into this stuff. And with that, I want to invite you back tomorrow when we are going to be answering the following question. Can believers live in habitual sin? And with that, I hope you enjoy She Don't Use Jelly by The Flaming Lips. She'll make you breakfast She'll make you toast But she don't use butter And she don't use cheese She don't use jelly